Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 174 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. My name is Byron. I'm here with my buddy Gary. Gary, how's it going? You know, it's going awesome. I was just thinking, episode 174. Do you think we'll get to episode 1000 sometime? Uh, uh, probably not. <laughs> I don't <laughs> That's know. That's crazy. That, uh, yeah, we're almost at I 200, never, I guess. Yeah, we're almost at 200. So, you know, we're less than 20% of... 20% there, but uh, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I thought you were going to say 174. We'll episode 200. I said, yeah, I think we can probably make that. But, uh, yeah, we'll get 200. Easy. But for sure, I know this, for Gary. Sure. Episode 174 is a great episode. Very strong one coming through the gate here. Josh Hinger is our guest this week on the podcast. Yeah, I can actually tell you, Josh has made my game much better, and I've never met the guy in person. Why, you may ask? Because Byron has really fell in love with Josh Hinger's guillotine, uh, the Hingertine. I have started getting caught in Hingertines from every angle possible, and I've really had to work on my game, work on my head placement, my hand placement. Um, I'm a big underhooker. I'm aggressive with my underhook. And if you're aggressive on an underhook with a guy with a good arm and guillotine, it it is a recipe for disaster. So um, I've really had to uh, tailor my game uh, here lately with, uh, you know, Byron Hingertine and everybody. So it's definitely helped my game out. And then on top of that, I've been a guy who's never had a uh, arm in guillotine. I've never been very good at it. I have a very good guillotine, but uh, I've never been partial to the arm in guillotine. And now, thanks to Byron and Josh, I've been hitting them left and right and, uh, you know, hit a probably four or five of them this morning. So uh, uh, the guy, Josh, who I've never met, has had a big, big uh, help to my game without uh, him probably even knowing it. So thank you, Josh. Yep. Uh, this is a great interview. Josh is the 2016 medium heavyweight uh, Nogi world champion. And a uh, pleasure to have him on the show. Super nice guy. He talks about his experience at uh, Nogi World. He talks about sub-only matches and sub-only tournaments. Uh, the growth of jujitsu talking trash and jujitsu and how it's different than talking trash in MMA. And, uh, just lots of stuff going on here with Josh. He's got a lot of tips for beginners as well. He's also a coach and he's very humble about that. He's, I'm, I'm learning how to coach. He's, he's picking that up and, uh, and he's humble with that. So he's just great guy to have on the show. Really fortunate, uh, to have him. Uh, Gary mentioned the, uh, DVD that Josh uh, has made and, uh, there's a full review in your show notes to this episode and i know that's going to be in your email inbox because if you're on the email list you get these show notes emailed to you every week and uh you can check out the video review that i've did on this and get really my full opinion on this dvd and how how much it's impacted me and uh really it's been a pretty big game changer for myself and uh and you can get on the email list by going to our website bjjbrick.com or our facebook page and put your name and email address and uh bada boom bada bing you'll be getting that sort of thing Bada-boom, bada-bing. Speaking of bada-boom, bada-bing, definitely check out uh, Byron's audiobook, Your First Year in BJJ. 
two and a half hours of content walking you through your first year of jiu-jitsu, making it much easier for you. The first year is a tough year. Not a lot of people, and I wish I had statistics, but, uh, you know, they say 99% of the statistics are made up, so I could just make one up, but I'm not going to. But it seems like a lot of people do drop out in the first year. And our goal with this podcast and with us training, we just want to uh, grow jujitsu. We want to expose more people to it. We want more and more people to train because we think it's the best sport ever, um, even better than basketball. So, <laughs> considerably better, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> considerably better. <laughs> uh, but no, that is our our what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow jujitsu, and, and that's what this uh, uh, the main reason for uh, Byron's audiobook is to grow jujitsu. It's only eleven dollars ninety nine cents. It'll guide you through your first year. Um, you know, stuff of you know picking your schools. You know, when are you ready for a tournament? And you know how to get ready for your first tournament. You know, just a little different things you're going to run into. And, and also the uh, $11.99, it goes to support this show, to keep this show, as Byron always says, to keep this brick floating, which uh, I really don't know how a brick floats. But um, Byron says it does, and and uh, and he's the master, so I believe him. <laughs> oh, Gary, we're, the brick is floating, but we definitely appreciate any support that we get uh, from the audience. Uh, speaking about bada boom, bada bing, we've got somebody here who's throwing left and right at you, George Foreman, for the quote of the week. What do you George, mean he's throwing left and right? I thought the guy just had a grill. He does have a grill. Yeah, if you uh, actually uh, had somebody smoke up the house pretty good the other day, cooking on the George Foreman grill, uh, smoke bank down about three feet, uh, just cooking on the grill <laughs> like nothing was wrong. Set their smoke alarm off. So, uh, yeah, Whoa. the George Foreman grill, great thing. You could drip the fat away from the food is what it does, evidently. Yeah, they say it's a little more healthy that way. Uh, evidently, but, Gary, there's a generation of people who don't know who George Foreman is other than the guy that sells the grill. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. he also a, a very accomplished and famous boxer and has a lot of quotes and kids. But this quote says, Being angry and resentful of someone is like letting them live rent-free in your head. So if you are upset with somebody and you're just thinking about them all the time, how they've messed up your life or how what they're doing is it sucks, it's stupid, they shouldn't do that, you know, and it could be anything from a training partner, a coworker, a family member, a politician, whatever. If they're really bothering you all the time, they are living rent free in your head, which is probably the most valuable space you have. Don't let them in there, you know, get do something else, do some jujitsu, get them out of your head. Uh, and uh, put some more positive things in there. I'd like yeah, to it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about uh, last week. You know, uh, a positive attitude, and you know, here you don't have a great attitude. You're you're angry or resentful of somebody, and and like you said, politics. I I can uh, you know, we just had a new president, and you know, it seems like half the people are for him, half aren't. But the half aren't. Oh boy, it's uh, you know, they're being angry and resentful, and they're letting Donald Trump live in their head. Um, but uh, like Byron said, it's all it's going to do is make you angry. It's going to bring you down. Uh, let's get out and play the best sport in the world, jiu-jitsu. Let's train. You know, jiu-jitsu is definitely better than basketball. So, uh, you know, get out there on the mat, you know, get, make your head free, you know, clear everything out. Do not let somebody get into your head and bring you down. So uh, have fun. Keep a clear mind and train jiu-jitsu. Yep. I think this – uh, you know, obviously things bother us. We're people. We're normal. 
and something will be kind of be bothering me sometimes. And I have to take like a, a second to think about, Hey, try to let this go. Try to not let this affect me and bring me down. And you just got to kick them out of your head. They don't belong there rent free. Even if they're paying rent, they don't belong there. Uh, your headspace is very, very valuable and, uh, kick them out of there. And if they can't do it, if you can't do it, have George Foreman knock them on the, knock you on the side of the head and, They'll probably fall right out, right, Gary? Yeah, definitely the way he punches will happen. But, you know, we were just talking about training jiu-jitsu to clear your head. And and I tell you, when I'm trying to get people to train or, or when I'm talking to somebody who's trained a long time and we're talking about the benefits of jiu-jitsu, I'll tell you what I think the best benefit of jiu-jitsu is, is mental. And I'm, and what I mean is, man, there's some days where I've had a rough day at work, a lot's going on that I didn't finish, that I didn't clear my whole plate off. And, and you know, I've got, I'm already kind of looking in my head, planning, you know, what I'm doing the next day at work, what fires I'm going to have to put out, you know, thinking ahead. And, you know, sometimes your mind just starts wandering and, and, you know, it's good to always be prepared to think ahead and stuff like that, but you can't let it all consume you. And sometimes your thoughts will consume you, whether it's a relationship, whether it's work or, or whatever. But when I get out there in the jujitsu room on the mats, I do not think of anything but having fun and doing jujitsu. So no matter what is on my mind, I can go over two hours that day and I'm just at peace. When I'm on the mat, nothing matters. Everything's just moving. I'm having so much fun. It's like everything's moving in slow motion and no thoughts, no negative thoughts or penetrate my head and uh, I and then even when I leave you know I, I'm mentally and physically exhausted mentally exhausted from playing that the game of chess jiu-jitsu is a game of chess and physically from moving my body through those you know through that game and when even when I go home like those thoughts don't pop back into my head the only thoughts that pop back into my head are you know hey could I have passed the guard this way you know what was I doing wrong was I you know, I go over and, and try to critique my practice, my game that day and, and see what I could do better. And it, it clears all the bad thoughts out of my head and, and allows me to uh, live a productive night and uh, get a good night's sleep and then get ready for another day's worth of work. But that's uh, that's my biggest, in my opinion, to me, the biggest benefit of jiu-jitsu. And it kind of reminds me of uh, that quote there from George. There you go. And also... Uh if grappling isn't doing it, uh, boxing will sure knock things out of your head and get them living out of there rent-free. <laughs> yep. Hey, speaking of the George Foreman grill, did you know, a uh, little piece of trivia, that before they asked George Foreman to do the grill, and you know how the grill is so famous now and George probably makes a ton of money off it, Tremendous. they asked Hulk Hogan to do it first, and he declined. Can you imagine declining and then seeing how popular it is today? Man. I bet you that's one That'd angry Hulkamaniac. Yep, Hulkamania is running wild, <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah, sometimes opportunity knocks and you miss it. But uh, you know, hopefully Hulk Hogan isn't <laughs> resenting George <laughs> Foreman right now for you know him taking that and, and not him. He should be moving on and, and living his life uh, the Hulk style. The Hulk style. We've lost a lot of those wrestlers, Gary. It's been yeah. tough. I think Hulk Hogan's still doing all right. I, I don't really don't know anything about any of them. Uh, you know, I think he's had some rough personal life, and I could Google it, Barry, Gary. But uh, I called you Barry there for a minute. That's a combination of well, two names. <laughs> what about Barry Windham? You know the uh, the wrestler. So you might have to Google him too. 
Yeah, that's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm still cracking up. Uh, we combine our names and it's Barry. And that's, uh, we can work with that, Gary. Or Gyron. Barry's funnier, I think. I like Gyron. Gyron, okay. We'll go with that, Gyron. Okay. Team Gyron over here. Okay, Barry. <laughs> anyway, Gary, will you please move us along from this uh, segment of George Foreman knocking us silly to the article of the week? <laughs> Hey, we have, uh, we always talk about every time we're struggling to find an article, and then we always seem like uh, we end up on John Will's blog. John Will's got some awesome articles there um, on his blog, so definitely check it out, and we'll have a link to the show notes. Um, but this week, uh, we have one about uh, heat seeking missiles. Um, his article is called No Time Machine, Only Heat Seeking Missiles. And um, basically what he talks about is, uh, um, you know, we can't fix where we start in life. Um, You know, we don't choose our parents. Um, You know, if kids choose their parents, definitely my son would not have chosen chosen me. So we definitely don't get to, you know, choose that stuff. Um, You know, we just have to make good, make best of what we got. And... uh, you know, he goes on to talking about whining. Um, you know, people that whine, that complain about their position in life. Um, you know, they're basically saying, ah, oh, darn, if I did, you know, if it wasn't for this, this would have happened. You know, if uh, if grandpa was a girl, he would be grandma. You know, stuff like that. They're just, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gary. Okay. Uh, always complaining, always whining. And basically, what does whining do? It basically achieves nothing. It's just, uh, you know, kind of like what we were talking about with George Foreman. It, uh, you know, is going to occupy a good portion of our brain. We do not want to do that. And uh, like what John says, it's decision making, you know, basically much more than, you know, circumstances affects how our life unfolds. Um, you know, circumstances we may be put in this place, but how did we get there? You know, our decision making, you know, is probably what put us in this place. But, you know, many people basically would rather blame or, you know, cast blame on somebody or whine, you know, about their last lack of success or or whine about how well other people are doing. And and they, they won't take, you know, uh they won't take responsibility for the situation, you know, good or bad. I mean, if you put yourself in a good situation and, and something great happens, that's probably due to your own decision making. Same thing if something bad happens, it's your own decision making. And, you know, I've got some buddies who uh, they, they like to gamble a lot. Every weekend they, they go to the casino and they're gambling and, and uh, you know, it just seems like they're always losing money. And, you know, they'll complain about not having enough money. And, uh, you know, man, I don't have any money for my car payment this month. I don't have money for my rent. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, in all reality, you made a bunch of bad decisions. You went to uh, went to the casino and and you lost all your money and, and now you can't pay it. It's it's your circumstances. You can blame everybody you want, but it's your decision making that, you know, puts you into that decision. But uh, um, what I really like about this is, you know, he's talking about, 
most of our, you know, how we make our decisions. Um, but he talks about uh, someone told him, and, and the guy is Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, he says, for those interested, interested, that our decision-making process is is kind of like a how a heat-seeking missile works. And and I never thought of this analogy before, but it's it's awesome. Um, basically, it heads off in a random direction, then asks a simple question, hotter or colder. And then it makes corrections, and it keeps doing that pretty soon till you pinpoint it down to the direction you're going. You know, so I, I had never thought about you know how we make decisions and you know how we end up at the end path. And the end path is due to a whole bunch of different decisions that we make. And you know, we're going down one path, and you know, we ask ourselves some more questions, such as hotter or colder, are we getting where we need to go? And, you know, let's say it's cold, then we're going to have to change our path. And we'll keep asking that question as we go down that road. And pretty soon we're at the end and it's all due to a whole bunch of little corrections and uh, gets us right there. But I thought that was, uh, you know, pretty good analogy. Yeah, the the idea of that there's no time machine. You can't go back and change things. You can't change your situation that, that you found yourself in. You surely can't change your parents if you were... Uh, Gary, if we were born on the on the in the wrong country, you know, in a wrong situation, uh, we we would we could be living, you know, very difficult lives. Here we are; we're very fortunate people living pretty happy lives going on over here, uh, doing jitsu as a as a leisure activity and having fun with it. But uh, really, you can't change that. So you're in the situation you're in. There's no time machine, but you do have a heat-seeking missile, and then that is a powerful thing. So you can constantly make course corrections uh, through your life as you go. Yeah, Byron, tell me again I have a heat-seeking missile. Gary, <laughs> you have a heat-seeking missile, so I've heard. Uh. <laughs> and that concludes the podcast uh, in its entirety. We're going to wrap up right there, my friends, and uh, never do another show. <laughs> uh, took it to that level, Barry. Yep. Okay, Gyron. Um, but, you know, another big thing he says is, you know, these are our decisions. You know, we, we've narrowed them down. We, we've got to the end result. But we need to we need to learn from our decisions, good and bad. Um, you know, decision making is a process. We can get better at it. And, you know, when it when the decision making was great, learn from it. When it was bad, learn from it and, you know, just try to get better. And, um, you know, so decision making is going to help you in life. It's going to help you, you know, in your marriage, it's going to help you on your job. It's going to help you on the jujitsu mat. So, uh, uh, definitely practice that, uh, and, uh, check out John Will's blog. Yeah. There's like a infinite amount of decisions you're making while you grapple. Uh, you really own them all Every time you get tapped or every time, you know, somebody sweeps you or whatever, you know, whether you're standing or kneeling or you're on both knees or uh, your hands are in, in this place or that place. Or, I mean, constantly there's so many variables that you're making decisions on that uh, in time it's kind of autopilot that you don't have to think about so much. But um, it's more or less a training thing. But if something bad happens while you're grappling, you know, not bad, bad, but, you know, it didn't go the way you want it to go. You gotta kind of own that. There's no time machine to go back and change it. Your yeah. uh, your missile was targeted at the wrong thing, and you missed. Yeah, and learn from it. 
do not whine about it. Like, uh, you know, if Byron taps me out, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, Byron wrestled one year of Kids Club and lost every match but one and blame that, you know, because Byron had one extra year of training. And, you know, I hear that all the time. Oh, this guy's heavier than me. This guy's been training, you know, 17 days more than me. It's, uh, you know, hey, we all get tapped. Where were my hands? Uh, what did I do wrong? Did I lead with my head? Uh, is that why I got choked out? So, uh, you know, let's let's learn from our decisions. Yep. Uh, the last uh, little part on here says uh, decide, own, learn, decide again, and never replace own with blame. So decide, own what happens. Don't blame anything else for it. Just own it, good or bad. Learn from it, and then make another decision and keep going forward. And uh, that's this blog is awesome, Gary. We'll put a link yep. to it in the show notes. I'm surprised that it's not you know the biggest jiu-jitsu blog out there. John always posts things that are uh, very thoughtful and uh, and you know educational. So uh, here we go again. No time machine, yep. only heat sinking missiles. Byron, I'd like to make a decision that we get on to our interview with uh, Josh Hinger. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. When he was troubled with a slow Wi-Fi connection, he threatened to disqualify the service provider. After that, his high-speed connection was restored. He then streamed the worlds from the comfort of Chuck Norris's living room. Chuck never knew that he was there, but he did enjoy a faster internet connection. When he is stuck in a traffic jam, he manages to keep rolling, just very slow. This is what he considers to be his slow roll time. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Josh Hinger to the BJJ Break Podcast. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Happy to have you. You have been uh, a very busy guy lately, it seems like. Uh, seeing your name a lot online and seeing you uh, pop up about uh, tournaments you've you've been in and, and uh, you know, DVD you recently made that has affected my game in a big way. But, Josh, could you just kind of introduce yourself to the audience if they haven't heard of you yet? Um, yeah, um, well, um, my name's Josh Hinger. Uh, I'm a black belt under Andre Galvao. Uh, I actually just received my first degree, so I've been a black belt for just over three years. Um, I've been with Team Autos for about five years. Um, before that, I was a bit of, a bit of a nomad. I just kind of bounced around. Um, didn't really train under anyone consistently. Um, so then when I met Andre, it was, uh, it was you know, we got along really well, so I jumped on, on board the team. Um, I live in San Diego, California. I, I teach the kids and white belt classes at Autos HQ. And, um, and yeah, and I just, uh, just uh, did my first DVD at the Hinger Team. All right. And, and you said you, uh, you kind of just bounced around training in a little while. What brought you to Andre? Uh, actually, well, I moved uh, to Indiana to go to graduate school at Indiana University. And as I was driving out there, actually, I received a Facebook message from my friend, Tim Sled. And he just had heard through the grapevine that I was moving out to Indiana and invited me to come train at his academy. And Tim was uh, the first American affiliate, the first Autos affiliate in the United States under Andre Gavel. 
Um, so, and I had, you know, I'd always heard great things about Andre. And, and so I went to go train with Tim and we hit it off really well. Um, so he's one of my main training partners while I was out there in Indiana. And I believe shortly after Andre won his, uh, double gold ADCC title, um, in 2011, he came out to do a seminar at Tim's Academy and that's where I met him. Um, so it was great to, and I, and I didn't go to a lot of seminars in general. I never really went to seminars. Um, but I figured I, you know, I should probably go to that one. And I was right around the corner from my house too. So yeah, so I went, I, I met Andre right after he had won ADCC and I got lucky enough to train with him. Like the first ring, you know, there's probably a hundred dudes in this uh, seminar. And, uh, Andre was kind of picking his own training partners and, and I was lucky enough to get picked. And, uh, we had a really great training session. Um, and even after the seminar was over and everyone left, he stuck around and trained with me for about 20 or 30 minutes. Just, just him and I on the, on the mat. Uh, it was a great time, so we got along really well. And uh, it was only, it was only, I was uh, maybe three months later, I was trying to go to the Nogi Pan Ams. Um, but I didn't have a team that I was affiliated with, and you have to have a team, you know, that's registered with WDF. So I called up Andre and I just kind of asked him if I, he would be my coach and I could be on his team. And he said, yeah, it'd be great. And, and that's, that's it. That's a pretty cool story. Uh, what uh, belt level were you back then? I was brown. Yeah, brown belt. Um, so when I met Andre, I was a brown belt uh, with no stripes. And then um, I trained under him for about a year. And then he, he I don't, I see, I'd, I'd been a brown belt for two years, but I, I had no one to promote me. You know, I had no one to give me stripes. So I was two years a brown belt. And then I met Andre. Uh, and then I was wondering for about one year. And then he hit me with four stripes one day at another seminar. Uh and then it was about a year, year and a half after that, that uh, he promoted me to Black Belt. What is it about uh, him or maybe you or what he saw in you that uh, while he was training with you so much that day he met you? You know, I'm not even really sure because uh, as far as I remember, he just kicked the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember like doing anything that was impressive. I think I, we just trained. I, I trained as hard as I could. I mean, I gave him everything I had. Um, and back then I was, I was really focused on Nogi. I did a lot of Nogi, probably only Nogi for about seven years. Um, and even when I trained in the Gi, I would still use Nogi grips. And I remember I was training with him and I would still do all my Nogi moves, but even though we were in a Gi and he used to, he used to laugh and kind of, as we're training, he'd make a joke about how I, I'm still just using Nogi grips, even though we're in a Gi. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. We just got along. I think, I think we have a, a similar sense of humor. And uh, just, I mean, aside from just training ethic, you know, in jujitsu, we just get along as, as individuals. Josh, I find myself in a similar situation uh, as you. I I train both gi and gi, uh, no gi, but I basically train like uh, I don't use the gi much when I train because I'm only able to train, you know, a certain amount of time per week. I don't get to train as much as I like, and I don't want to be working on something. Uh, that's just so gi specific, and then only make you know the no gi nights this week. And not be able to work on that at all. So that's, I mean, that's kind of why I do that. What is there a reason why you just acted like there wasn't a gi there while you were rolling? Um, well, I, you know, so as when I was training only no gi, I, I trained only no gi because I always trained at MMA academies. And okay. There was, just never was, there never was a gi option. That's, it wasn't that I, uh, that I, I had no opinion about the gi, but because I had only done no gi for so long, of course, I would like, when I would get into these arguments with people, um, of course I'd always defend Nogi as being more difficult. 
are, are more challenging, but um, anything you do in nogi can translate into a gi. You know, it's, whether the gi is there or not, the nogi moves still exist. You know, you grab the wrist, grab the tricep, it's all, the tricep is always there. So I've, I've always, uh, you know, I guess that's kind of what you were saying. Um, you know, you, you can translate very easily gi, nogi to gi. Um, but it, you know, to be honest, it, it, I find if you can pass guard in a gi while someone's holding you, it's actually quite easy to pass the guard no gi, I think. Um, so I think at, at the same time, I think it's very beneficial to train in the gi if you're going to still go to, to no gi days. Um, but if, if you, as the, as if you're the guy, if you're thinking about your own training, right, you, like you said, um, you don't want to train something specific in a gi, like say worm guard, right? Which doesn't yeah. even exist in no gi. There's no, <laughs> there's no option. You can't possibly do worm guard, no gi. Um, that makes sense. But it, as, as the person is, what you can do, I, I think what you can do is train in the gi, but you, you know, you don't have to play with the lapels or any other callers, you know, but let your opponent do it. And then you just work on your very fundamental you know, no gi passing with, you need an underhook and a knee cut, you know? Um, but you know, if you're in a gi, the other guy, of course, can use the lapel, make a worm guard, make a lapel guard, um, lasso your arm or something, you know? So just because he's doing gi specific moves to hold you doesn't mean that you need to do gi specific moves while you're trying to get around his guard. Um, and then I think when you find that, you go back into a no-gi situation, it'll be much easier for you to pass the guard because there is no lasso or spider guard or worm guard. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah, it does, absolutely. Yeah, I, like I you're, in control, you're in control of your, your jiu-jitsu moves, you know, and you can stick to the, the no-gi specific, or, or even call it universal, like universal moves that work in the both gi and no-gi. Um, but let your opponent you know, do whatever he wants to do to you. And then you just have to deal with, you know, practice dealing with that. Yeah. Definitely don't be the guy who's complaining. Hey man, he's up on my collar. I'm, I'm, I'm basically a no gi guy. Just deal with that collar. It's the same. Like it's, you know, it pretend like it's a, it's a good grip on your neck and, uh, yeah, yeah, try exactly. to pass anyway or try to, you know, instead of grabbing your wrist or grabbing your sleeve, which is a lot harder to break. Well, if you could deal with that sleeve grab compared to the wrist, the wrist will seem easy. Yeah, as well, yeah. If you can break a sleeve grip, it's way easier to break a wrist grip. Super easy. So we're, we're, it's an interesting conversation with you already uh, about gi versus no gi. You are the 2016 uh, uh, world champion in no gi. At uh, what weight class were you in? Medium heavy. Medium heavy. And what do is that like the typical weight class for you? Uh, for nogi, yeah, it's very difficult for me to make the uh, middleweight nogi weight division. I'm not even sure what it is. I just know it's below 170, or no, it's below. What is it? It's below 180. It's like probably 176 or 77, I think. Um, but I have a yeah, I have a really hard time making that. Okay. Uh, but in the gi, in the I think it's the IBJJF weight categories for a middleweight and a gi is 181.5, and middleweight and no gi I think is like six, five or six pounds less, which is just I can't make that additional five pound cut. I just, I'm not willing to cut weight actually. I just I just don't want to do it at all. Okay. Um, you, so I just go up. I go up the weight class. You you don't cut weight at all, uh, gi or no gi, basically is what you're saying. No, no. In the gi, I, I fall right. 
right at the top of the middleweight division. I'm, I'm right. I, I mean, I have to like watch what I eat for like a day. Um, and then I, if I'm smart, you know, for the two days before the tournament, um, I'm usually right on the top of the middleweight division, which is 181.5 in the gi. This is, this is very interesting. I always, you know, you look at uh, tournaments or an MMA, it seems like the, the people who are, are, are winning their divisions are typically, uh, you know, very technical and stuff like that, but also have a little bit of a advantage sometimes with size and uh, it really appears to not be a factor for you at all. Any any reason why that is other than your your training and, and technique and stuff like that? Is there anything you have there as far as uh, ideas go? Well, interestingly enough, I actually just wrote an article for Flow Grappling on uh, cutting weight and why it should not be a thing that people do. Um, and that will be uh, available next week, I think. That's going through the editing process. But I laid it out on about you know two or three pages for Flow Grappling. It'll be out next week. But the moral of the story is um, I find that most people who cut weight don't perform very well. Uh, for example... I gave up five or six pounds uh, when I won Nogi Worlds. I was like, I think the weight division is 188, 188 or 188.5, um, but I walked in there weighing 184, I think. I gave up four pounds. My teammate, Lucas, he's normally the middle, a medium heavyweight also, and he was the champion last year um, the, in the division that I won, but because we both saw ourselves making it to the finals. We didn't want to have to share the title. So he volunteered to go up to the heavyweight division. So he actually weighed less than me, or at least exactly the same. He went up to the heavyweight division, which I think the cutoff is 205 or something around there. So he gave up about 20 pounds, and he won. And the guy he was in the finals with was Vitor Oliveira, who is also not a normal medium, or not a heavyweight. Like I think Vitor, I think, is a myth. Um, but it was him and Lucas in the finals. So they beat all the big guys, and the two, you know, smaller guys were in the finals. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think, I think if you cut weight, especially for the IBJJF, because you only have ten minutes to weigh in and then get ready for your match. So I think cutting weight is a big mistake in the IBJJF. There's no recovery time. You don't get time to rehydrate. Like you're gonna, if you're hurting for fluids or food you have to deal with that during your first match. And I think a lot of times it's just going to slow you down. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that you uh, aren't planning on just having one match. You know, you might be out there for a long time today. Yeah. Exactly. Entering yeah. in absolute division as well. And, and, uh, you know, the first match maybe uh, I barely got through that one, but I'm, you know, now I have another one and another one, you know, that sort of, uh, yeah, 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 and you're, and you're, yeah, and you're gonna feel it. You're standing there. You're gonna feel it. Even if you survive the first match, you, you know, if you have four matches to the final, you're gonna feel that. And uh, and I like to do the open class, and I know Lucas likes to do the open class. And um, you know, if you're cutting weight, you just put yourself at a huge disadvantage for any of the open class matches. I have uh, I teach the white belts at, at Autos too, and uh, she was like two weeks, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I think we went to the Long Beach Open, and I know. Um, two of my students had to, they were in the same weight division. So one of them decided to cut to the lower division and, uh, and he felt it. I, I saw, I mean, he did very well. He got to the finals. He won three matches by submission, but in the finals, like I saw he was burned out and he just had nothing left. Um, and I think, I think the weight cut, you know, especially for white belts, they're, they're rather inexperienced uh, when it comes to making weight classes. 
Um, so, and, I, and there were some other students that were bigger. Uh, there was one guy that was in the heavyweight division. He had to cut some weight. And it, it definitely played a toll on them. They, they didn't, especially for beginners, I think cutting weight is not a good idea. You know, if you've been doing it for 20 years, fine. But if, if you're a beginner and you're not used to competitions at all, and, and here you are cutting weight, um, I think you're going to, you're going to feel it when you're out there. Also, not just the, uh, the output of energy, but uh, there's more stress level, especially uh, I don't know, especially yeah. at the beginner level. But just in a competition at probably any level, you know, you, you really want to perform well, and and that added to uh, cutting weight. Some and uh, yeah, it, it all and and then you know with MMA, people have time to kind of recover from that. If you're weighing in and exactly. then competing right away, that does have a rather quick turnaround time, and that could, like you're saying, really not time to get uh, back up to feeling good again. I'm curious as to how many MMA fighters would cut weight if they had to weigh in 10 minutes before their fight. I wonder if they would. So. I, yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, Probably I, not, right? I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I definitely don't, not an MMA expert, but I think they feel pretty crummy the day they actually weigh in, you know, and then... Uh, yeah, they look to terrible. Back up to themselves, <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience at uh, Nogi Worlds this year. Um, well, you know, like... I actually wasn't planning on competing. You know, I, I actually I had a, a pretty bad performance for the last two years at, at the tournament. So this year it was uh, it was in San Francisco, and I was like, man, I, I can't even do well when it's here in Long Beach, like in my backyard. I don't want to drive up to San Francisco and then you know have a bum match or something. Um, but I, I had been training a lot, not not for the tournament. I was just training a lot because I was I was training a lot and. And Andre kept asking me if I was going to do it. And I just kept saying, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe. And he was like, man, that's crazy. Like, you're going to do it. You, you're training every day. You're in great shape. You're just go, you're going to do it. And then I started thinking like, well, all my teammates are going to go. So I might as well go with my team and, and be supportive, you know, and help coach. Cause sometimes we have, you know, two or three guys fighting at the same time and Andre can't be everywhere at once. Uh, so I was going to go just to help. And then, if, and then I thought, well, if I'm going to go, I might as well just compete. Like, who cares? I'll just get a few matches. And I had just made this DVD uh, two months before. So I figured, okay, you know what? I'm going to go out there and just try to get one good guillotine. I'm going to make one good guillotine that I can use to promote my DVD. You know, and then even whatever happens, happens. You know, I'll just try to have fun with it. And, uh, and yeah, so I went out there. And, man, you know, even... <laughs> My first match on Saturday, because the division is divided in two matches on Saturday, two matches on Sunday. And I walked in late to the tournament on Saturday morning because uh, we had trouble organizing 30 people on the two vans and who's going to go at what time. And some people want to sleep in, some people don't. So we ended up going in the second van. We got there late and they were announcing my name over the loudspeaker the second I walked in to Cal Palace. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the worst nightmare of any competitor. You know, they're calling you up and you're not even, you just walked in. I had just eaten breakfast. I wasn't, wasn't warmed up. I wasn't prepared or anything. I I ran straight to the bullpen, checked in. The guy told me I got five minutes. I was like, dang it. You know, my competitor, he, I had to buy first round. So my competitor, I know he already had a match first round. So I know he's already warmed up. He's hot. He's coming off a win. He's like probably feeling really good and confident. And, uh, and I always know the first match is always the worst match. Like no one's warmed up. You're not ready for it. You still got the jitters. So I don't know. I just went out there and winged it. And, uh, I, I, yeah, it was easy. I won. I got a submission 
within six minutes, I think. Kind of shocked myself, you know. I was like, man, I never, I've never jumped into a match like that so unprepared. But uh, you know, once the adrenaline kicked in, it was just autopilot, and it all worked out. <laughs> um, and then yeah, so I had a bye first round, and then that was uh, that was the quarterfinal match. So I was done for the day. I just figured, okay, I had ten minutes, go nuts, get out there, get it done, uh, and then I can rest for the rest of the day. And then the semifinals was going to be Sunday morning. So that's what I did. Um, and that was it. That was my one match of the day. And then I did the open class uh, just for fun. Um, so I had some good fights there. Uh, I think I had three fights. I had two wins. And then um, and then I got eliminated in the quarterfinals against uh, Murillo Santana. Which is good. I, I wanted to fight Murillo. You know, I've always wanted to fight Murillo. Uh, you know, he's a tough competitor. And uh, it was a pleasure to fight him. You know, he was actually signed up for our weight class, too. And uh, he didn't make weight for our weight class in the medium heavyweight division. So uh, I was lucky that I got to compete against him in the open class. And then, uh, let's see, what happened Sunday morning uh, was the semifinals. And I had a match with... Uh, Mateus Denise from Marcelo's Academy, which uh, and Mateus also had fought my roommate in the semifinals last year, and uh, it was you know Mateus is is very very powerful, very athletic, good, super mentally strong guy, good jujitsu, and uh, you know I've watched him over the years come up from brown belt, and uh, I knew he was going to be a tough fight, really tough fight, and uh, and I knew that if I could get through. Mateus that I couldn't have, you know, the goal would be in my my reach. Um, so him and I just grinded foreheads for nine and a half minutes. And, and I ended up, uh, I got lucky. Uh, you know, I got him to pull guard. I think what happened is as I pulled him forward and he kind of took a misstep and then he was off balance and he pulled guard. And as soon as he pulled guard, I was, I was thrilled because like, I'm very much a top, top player, especially in Nogi. And, um, so I was able to secure some advantages and then some points and I got the win. Um, and then in the finals, I just, I don't know, I just let it all out. I, I just fought as hard as I possibly could. And, and I was lucky enough to, to take the gold medal, but you know, it's, it was, it's nerve wracking. So, I mean, you can imagine how nerve wracking it is, you know, to get to the finals and realize you're so close to a world title and you just think, man, it would be so devastating to to mess it up, to you know, have a stupid mistake or something, and have it slip between your fingers. So, when I remember when I was out there fighting, Andre kept yelling at me, "Stay focused, stay focused." And you know, I would never think as a coach, and I am a coach also. I I would never think to tell someone to stay focused. You know, I'd always be telling them, "Oh, do this, grab the leg, duck, you know, do this, do that." Um, but it was such good advice to stay focused. Uh, I never even thought about it. And it was like, that's what I, that was what I needed to hear. Cause that's what I needed. I needed to stay focused. Um, once I got a few points ahead in the match and then it was like, okay, now I, now I cannot make any mistakes. You know, I, I got my points. Don't make any mistakes. And if you don't make any mistakes, you're going to be all right. You're going to get through this. And, and that's what he kept yelling at me. And it was like the best advice ever. Uh, so I just stayed focused, you know, made sure not to make any mistakes. And, and the longer the match kept going, the more I advanced. I, even, I wasn't just playing defensively, you know, I kept attacking, attacking, attacking. I wasn't trying to stall the clock out or anything, but by staying focused, you know, I made sure not to make any mistakes. 
you know? And then every time he made a mistake, I capitalized. And then I got a few more points and then got a few more points and I ended up winning, I think, uh, 11-0, which... Yeah, that's what it, uh, <laughs> it it looks like on uh on BG Heroes you didn't give up any points in your uh division unless uh Yeah, no, I no, I didn't give up a single point in the that, division. That is an impressive performance. Um you mentioned okay, I want to do the first round. I kind of want to have fun with it and and uh, maybe even get a uh, guillotine. And then you're in the finals and he's uh, telling you to stay focused. Is he taking you out of that mode that you originally walked in there with half flat? I'm going to go out there and see what's going to happen and have a good time and, and taking you to like the super competitive mode. Is that what that was? What was, I guess my question is, what yeah, was yeah, that's a, bit, yeah, no, you're right. You're no, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's no longer let's have fun. <laughs> now it's like, let's get the job done. You know, I was, I was going out there for my first, the first two matches maybe to have fun. And when I say the first two matches, I mean my quarterfinals match in my weight division and the open class division. Those are my first two matches. You know, I had four matches on Saturday, one weight class and three in the open class. And those were the fun. Those were matches to have fun, right? To go out there and just, you know, enjoy the experience, make some stuff happen, get some moves, you know. Um, but once you was in the semifinals, on Sunday is no longer fun. Like now it's like, okay, there's a job to get done and I'm going to stay focused on the task and I'm going to get this world title, you know, and I'm going to get through. And, 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 you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in the past when I was overly concerned with being boring. You know, I was like, I don't want to be a boring fighter. I don't want to, I don't want to win by an advantage. I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, people hate to watch because it's no fun to watch. Um, so I, in the past, I've like I've made mistakes because I was trying to push the match or push the pace, or I was worried about getting a stalling call or warning. So I would do something that I probably shouldn't have done, and then it ends up costing me, and I would lose the match by two points or something. Um, so I didn't I didn't concern myself with that. I just stayed in my zone. I said, look, I'm going to get I'm going to win this match. Doesn't matter how I'm going to win it, but I'm going to win it. And if I get a stall call, fine. If I get a warning or people think I'm boring, it's fine. Whatever. I'm going to get it done because I want this title. Um, and yeah, so that's what I did. I just, I, yeah, it was no longer about fun anymore. Now it was just like, I'm going to get, I got to get, I want this title and I'm going to get this title. It, it looks like you uh, will enter into the open weight class quite often. Is, what's your goal with that? And and does does entering that take away from your uh, your weight class uh, matches at all? Um, it, it's interesting because at an at the opens, um, the open class will be after you're done with your weight class. Uh, but at the big tournaments, hands worlds, nogi worlds, they do the open class the night before because the weight through categories are split in twos. I think it's just for this is just for black belts. I think. Um, where you do your first couple matches on Saturday and your last couple matches on Sunday, and then Saturday night they're doing they do the entire open class except the finals. So they save the finals for Sunday. So um, it's the opens. I always just do the open class for fun. It's just for fun. I'm gonna go, you know, a video of the match, try to hit some cool moves, you know, um, just get some experience. You know, it's no pressure. Uh, because it's, it, it, you know, because your weight class is done at that point, and hopefully you have gold medal for the weight class, um, and then so the open class is a no pressure kind of fun experience. 
uh, if you, if I, if I don't win my weight class, then I feel more pressure in the open class to get a gold medal. You know, I'm like, okay, you know what? I messed up in my weight class. I need to stay focused and get this gold medal. So maybe it's less fun, more business at that point. But at the world's tournament, they're doing the open class before the end of your weight class. Um, so I think, I think for me, I, I don't take it too seriously. I, I enter it just more for fun, just for experience, get some matches, fight some guys that you normally wouldn't fight, you know, um, you know, some, some lightweights, you know, some, some lightweights that I would never have the opportunity to fight. You know, I'm only going to be able to fight them in the open class or some heavyweights. You know, my first, my first, uh, match ever at an IDJJF Nogi Worlds was against Bernardo Faria because, uh, I had a buy, <laughs> I had a buy first round in my weight class and that put me into the next day already. Um, it was actually the, see, the Sunday was going to be quarter quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. Yeah, so I had to buy first round, or the guy didn't show up exactly what happened. Um, and so then my first match was open class uh, Saturday evening, and I pulled Bernardo Faria. So, I, like, what are you going to do? You can't take that too seriously, you know. Um, I went out there and had fun with it, and I enjoyed the experience. You know, of course, he beat me, but um, it was a good experience. And, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. The open class is such a mountain to climb uh, that, you know, I don't ever go into it with any expectations. I just want to have fun, have some cool matches, and hopefully put on a good show for spectators. Now, we've been talking a lot about, like, the big tournaments and the traditional, uh, what we think of as jujitsu competitions and nogi competitions. But, you know, as of late, you know, the past year or two, uh, the submission only tournaments have really exploded. Do you have any opinions about uh, you know, what they're doing to to jujitsu or how you feel about competing in them? Oh yeah, I think it's great that that more organizations are, are popping up and and especially those that are paying prize money to the competitors. I think it's super super great. You know, 2016 was the biggest year for jujitsu competition because of the explosion of submission-only tournaments and invitationals. Um, I, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy doing them. I, I competed in uh, EBI three, which about almost will be two years ago in March. Um, and I just jumped in at the last minute, you know, as a fill-in um, and I ended up going to the finals and fighting Gary Tonin in the finals and the overtime. Um, it was a great experience. I had a lot of fun. It was a super cool tournament. And, uh, I, I the matches were, were tough too, really tough. And uh, I enjoyed that experience a lot. Um, and, I, and I would love to see them keep growing. Um, what I don't really enjoy is the debate that the <laughs> console has over what's better or what's more entertaining or what, what will be better for jujitsu. I don't enjoy that conversation at all because, you know, to win any tournament, you're going to have a strategy and you're going to play, play the rules in a certain way. And submission only certainly does not always put on the most exciting matches. I personally think the most exciting matches are in points tournaments. Um, when someone is down by just two points or an advantage or something, and they have about two minutes to make something happen, they go in jet. What I see is I see people go crazy you know, they start just throwing legs by and throw flipping people and they're doing anything they can to get two more points. 
and I think that's very exciting personally. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of submission. It can go either way. You know, submission matches can be very exciting also. It's just, I just don't think that's like the end all be all of submission only is the most exciting match. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think every match is unique and every match has the potential to be exciting or super boring, you know, and even sub only, it, you can be very boring. You can stall the match for 10 minutes, uh, you know, for EBI rules, for example, you can stall the match for 10 minutes and then go into overtime and then win with an overtime rules, you know, where, where you get to start on someone's back. Uh, and I saw it happen. I saw I saw several guys a couple of times, you know, stall the entire 10 minute regulation period. And then they won the match in overtime because they got to start on their opponent's back or whatnot. So that's it. I think they're great. I, I think they're great. So that's my answer. Yeah. Uh, I just, I would like people to stop arguing over what's better, what's not, because it really every match has the potential to be boring or not boring. Just depends on the competitor. You know? Yeah. If you want to, to see a guarantee submission, uh, you know, put you up against me and you're going to tap me out in 30 seconds. Was it a good match? Was it exciting? No. You know, I just got uh, yeah, my exactly. butt kicked. It wasn't, I mean, just because uh, there are submissions doesn't mean it's, it's more exciting. Uh, I, you know, it's an interesting concept that uh, you can, you know, in a tournament, uh, come up against somebody who is probably better than you and you could beat them, but it's probably not going to be like you destroying them. It's going to be you kind of eking by and and beating somebody who you didn't expect you were able to beat and by a point or two or in, in a very close match. And and those are exciting matches as well. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's, there's always going to be room for both of them. And, and, uh, yeah, the, the debate isn't really exciting, but, uh, good matches between, uh, between two, uh, you know, good competitors are always, are always gonna be fun to watch. Exactly. Exactly. It seems like with with more matches, that's what we're getting. We're definitely getting more matches and and having uh, people, uh, you know, like our celebrities in our sport get more matches with each other, and that's always fun. But we get, you know, with social media, we get a lot more people talking back and forth and and trying to hype up the fights. Do you have any opinions about how that goes and and maybe how it is different than MMA? About hyping, about hyping matches with the the trash talk. Yeah, uh, I, you know, as I, I as I as I stated last month in my my monthly article, uh, um, I just I don't think like, it's okay to make statements, right? It's, I just don't think it needs to get as ugly as it does sometimes. Um, I just think some of these guys are kind of over the top with their internet trolling and uh, you know sometimes they make it personal. They start saying things about. I don't know, friends or family members or girlfriends. And that's just, that's just dirty. I don't think it needs to go there. And I think it just makes the whole sport look bad. And it's like, you know, our goal as a community is to grow the sport, right? We want the sport to grow because when the sport grows, we're all going to make more money. And that's really what we're after, right? Um, but I just don't think they don't need to, if they need to, to badmouth their opponents to hype their own matches, you know, they're, of course, they're, maybe they're hyping their own matches and they're making, they're making themselves some extra money by being very controversial. Um, they're certainly not helping the sport as a whole. You know, I think if anything, they're deterring people from jujitsu, maybe people who are watching from the outside, people who are thinking about doing jujitsu, um, you know, I think it's more of a deterrent. They just, they don't look very, it's not very classy, you know? And, and so, I don't, you know, Josh, how, of course, how is it? 
how is it different than MMA? Because in MMA, you know, that, that trash talking, it puts a lot of butts in the seats and, and people order pay-per-views. Uh, but it, it's a little different with jiu-jitsu because... Okay, because 99.9% of, of spectators in MMA are not going to ever do MMA. Yeah. So they watch it for the entertainment value. It's entertaining to them because they like watching people get punched in the face, even though they, the, those people have no desire to be punched in the face themselves. But with jiu-jitsu, the way we're going to grow the sport is by having more uh, more participants, right? People who watch jiu-jitsu are people who do jiu-jitsu. There's very few people, I think, who like to watch jiu-jitsu who don't do it. You know what I mean? Like, who who doesn't do jiu-jitsu but, but tunes into flow grappling to watch, you know, the IPJJF Europeans? Like, I don't think anyone. And, you know, only a girlfriend or a parent of yeah. a competitor. You know, that's it, though. I don't think there's anyone out there who wants to watch jiu-jitsu who doesn't do it. So um, I think what we need is more to make the sport grow is we need more uh, participants. We need more kids doing jiu-jitsu. And those kids are going to grow up and, they're gonna, you know, just like our kids traditionally, you know, grow up playing basketball, football, baseball. And, you know, and maybe this is why people love watching football or love watching basketball or love watching baseball because they grew up playing these games. They understand the rules and they can relate to the game because they used to play first base. So they used to be the quarterback. So they love watching it, even though they're not doing it anymore. But if you think about it, everyone thinks the rules are so complicated in the jiu-jitsu, but man, they're not. They're super simple. It's like there's only five rules you really need to know, I think. Maybe not, definitely not more than 10. Um, yeah, you ever seen the rule book for the NFL? I'm sure it's like a Bible, you know, like two inches thick of all the rules in the NFL. Like, I don't, that's a complicated sport if you think about it. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with how complex the sport is. Anyone can learn to watch jiu-jitsu and understand it within 30 minutes, you know, what's a sweep, what's a guard pass, what's this person trying to do, what's that person trying to do. It's not nearly as complicated as, as football, but people love watching football because uh, I think because they grew up playing it. So I think if jiu-jitsu had more people who grew up doing jiu-jitsu, I think or this, the viewership would explode. Yeah, absolutely. The The long-term effects of a person uh, as a child, you know, playing baseball and then uh, growing up and, and then uh, becoming a fan ultimately, and, and typically with baseball, they they'll probably leave it behind as they enter into adulthood and, and they just become a fan, yeah. but the, and then their kids gonna do baseball and the same. The long term effect for jujitsu was even more because we don't quit as adults; we keep going, and and, and we want to bring in other people as well. And yeah. fans, we're, we're fans, but we're also people who get out there and train as well. So it, you know, if you get a kid to do jujitsu their whole life, it's gonna be a, a huge long term effect on anywhere that kid or adult ends up being, uh, you know, ends up living. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and surely, surely that kid will end up getting his friends or you know coworkers to in the future to come train. Also, jujitsu is contagious like that, you know. Um, but I, I don't know. I think I think if I think it's yeah, I don't know. I think I think this what this is what would would help the sport explode. You know, it's like you know. Yeah, it's always interesting. I think people who work together, you know, I'm sure you have your you have coworkers who know that you do jujitsu, and I'm sure I'm sure they're very curious about it, you know, and I'm sure they ask you questions about it, and then 
every now and then one of them's like, Hey, can I come with you to, you know, to try it out one time? I'm sure you've had that experience. I know I have, Yeah. Um, you know, and then when, when an adult starts it and if they enjoy it, then I think they're more inclined to get their kids to do it. You know, they see that it's a healthy environment. Uh, that's good for, it's good for their, their mental state. It's good for their physical state. Um, and they'll get their kids into it and then, you know, and then it grows. It just grows exponentially. Josh, I'm trying to uh, kind of just wrap up, kind of like wrap up your idea about uh, trash talking and jujitsu and MMA. So in MMA, trash talking is uh, more accepted and, and it's just exciting because uh, nobody really watching MMA, the small percent actually does MMA. So they're just watching for the the show anyway. And in jujitsu, yeah, the trash talking and, and, and all the, the negativity is being uh, shown to people who actually do this and who, who hold jujitsu in high respects. And this is a big part of our lives. And so uh, that may not always be, it may get views, but it may not always get the person respect. Well, yeah. And if you're, if you're like, uh, you know, you're working class professional guy and, and, but you do jujitsu and maybe you're on the fence about whether you want to go to a competition or not. And then you see, you know, the best in the sport acting like fools, you know, maybe you don't think you don't want to put yourself in that same environment where like, you know, maybe you're going to eat, you don't, maybe you don't know what competition is really like, or you haven't been to one and you're nervous about it, but like, it's not going to help when you see competitors bashing each other uh, publicly. Like, you know, what, what would encourage you as a, as not you as personally, but you as a, as a potential competitor, you know, uh, what would encourage you is to know that, you know, you're going to go out there and you're going to fight with a guy and someone's going to win, someone's going to lose, but at the end of it, you're going to shake hands and there's a good chance you're going to become friends and you're going to pay some compliments to each other, you know, about great pressure, great submission, great, whatever, you know, and, they, and maybe you'll know that person for the rest of your life. Uh, and you'll see them at all the tournaments and you're always going to say hi to them. Um, that would encourage you to compete more so than thinking, okay, I'm going to compete against this guy. He's my enemy. I'm sure his family is a bunch of dirtbags. <laughs> he's, he's an a-hole. <laughs> and I should probably tell him that, you know, his car is a piece of crap and I think he's a loser. You know, like that's not going to encourage anyone to compete. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've gained a lot of friends from competition. I've competed against some guys three, four times and, and I enjoy seeing these guys around and I talk to them and they're tough dudes and, and, uh, you know, they beat me and I beat them and, and this is, this is the way it goes. And, and I respect them a lot, you know? Uh, and I, and I, I hope they respect me too. And I just, I think that kind of a uh, relationship with your opponents is, is good to have. I, your opponent doesn't have to be your enemy, you know? So, but I don't know, in MMA, you know, people got, they got to stir up hype and, you know, the way, the way an MMA fighter acts, whether he acts classy or acts like a lunatic is not going to encourage or discourage a spectator from trying MMA, I don't think. Yeah, you kind of have to have that in your mind anyway. Uh, you, you mentioned trying MMA, any desire to, to get into MMA? Um, I actually started uh, jiu-jitsu because I started MMA. <laughs> so like when I first started jiu-jitsu, it was an MMA academy and I, uh, I have five professional fights in, uh, back in 2003, 2004, 2005. My last one was in 2005 and, uh, my record is four wins and one loss. 
And uh, my first four fights, I won with uh, submissions. And then my last fight, I fought in Hawaii against a very, very tough Hawaiian guy named Johnny. And I don't even remember his last name, but I remember the fight very well. It's actually on YouTube. I do not encourage anyone to watch it because I look like a fool. <laughs> I was a blue belt, you know, who didn't know how to throw a punch. But I got out there and I, I slugged it out with this guy and, and he won the decision. Great experience, uh, <laughs> but I have no no desires to do that anymore. Well, good. I, I, it's always, you know, I like people to, to, to pursue what they want to do, but uh, I always like it when people stick with uh, grappling and, and take that as far as they could possibly go with it. And it sounds like we'll be seeing more of that uh, from you. And it's, it's, I root for the, the jiu-jitsu guys who go in MMA, but I always like to watch them do jiu-jitsu. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm glad yeah. you're, you're sticking with that. Uh, you mentioned a couple times about, you know, like, I, talking to my friends at work or talking to, like that. Just curious, you know, you just won worlds. Do you have a job other than jujitsu or are you doing full time, uh, on the mats? I am full-time on the mats. Yeah, I actually, I graduated from uh, Indiana University with uh, a dual master's degree, and I decided right then that I don't want to work in a desk, at a desk, in an office. I just wanted to jiu-jitsu, you know, and I was like, I think I, I was 31, 32, and I just thought, man, my time is limited. I can I can crunch numbers for a living for the last half of my life. I don't, I can't waste my youth crunching numbers when I can be doing jujitsu. You know, like I want to do what I can while I'm still young enough to do it. I mean, of course, you can do jujitsu forever, but I don't think you can be a. a, a I don't. Know, I'm not going to make any statements about who can do what, but I just I wanted to use my my age as it is to compete as much as I possibly can. Josh, Maybe before I have uh, I'm, yeah. I'm a little confused. You're in your 30s and you won the adult division. Uh, any comments about that? Or do you not really feel like you're slowing down at all? Um, I think I suffer more than the younger guys in training. <laughs> 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 I, think, I think I feel more pain than they do because uh, I remember how much pain I didn't feel when I was in my 20s. And I trained hard in my twenties, you know. And I was training MMA, and I, I, you know, I was getting punched and kicked. But I, I bounced back the next day, and I can come back for another training session. But nowadays, I man, I one hard training session on a Monday, and on Tuesday, I feel like I feel like an old man. But you know, it's just training. You know, you suffer through the training, and that's not a problem. Uh, it's not a problem for competition because when you hit the competition, you're you're fresh. You know, I'm rested. Took a few days off. I probably slept in uh, a few days, you know, and rested. And, you know, you go in the competition, you're fine. It's 10 minutes. Uh, whether you're 20 or 30-something, I think you can you can power through that 10-minute match. And, you, you know, it's not it's not that big of a deal, I, I don't think. Yeah. It, it, I, it, it's somebody, You're somebody to be admired. Um, you know, you don't, you're not cutting your weight. You're not trying to become... Uh, you know, the the heaviest and strongest guy in your division, and you're also uh, going down in age uh, and competing and, and, uh, and winning. So uh, definitely uh, respect you for that. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, your your DVD, The Hinger Teen, uh, it, it's basically, uh, I'll let you describe it, I guess, because you'll do a better job than me, but it I got it several months ago when it just had a, uh, a large, maybe several a month ago, and it's had a pretty large impact on my game. Could you maybe describe 
uh, which you had planned with the DVD and how how you developed that, uh, the technique yeah. of the hanger team? Um, so I had a training partner uh, back when I was at, I was in Tucson, Arizona. I had a training partner named Bo Triboulet. And Bo is like a, a heavyweight or super heavyweight, I think, depending. And uh, he would shoot these really lightning fast, low single legs on me all the time. He had always, man, from far away too, he'd shoot this low single on me. The only answer I ever had for it was to immediately sit to my butt because I couldn't escape it. Sit to my butt and dig, like, I would like missile my, my hand. I'd make a knife out of my hand and, and rocket launch it down into his neck and grab his chin and start immediately trying to 10 finger guillotine him. Um, and the, the 10 finger wasn't always working for me because I needed my other hand to, to hook his arm so that he wouldn't pass my guard immediately. Um, because if I devoted both hands to choking him, he would pass to the side and cause I sat to my butt, you know? So I would start using my one hand to grab his chin and squeeze. And I was using my other hand to underhook or overhook and then trying to either control him or sweep him. And we had the same grappling match, I think a hundred thousand times. Um, and just, I, over the years, I just fine tuned this, this choke and I was able to start cranking it with one hand and I developed the, the, the weird muscle that you need to develop to, to curl your wrist really tightly and, and crank the neck. Um, so then I just, you know, of course I just started throwing it on him always, you know, once it, once I saw it worked from as a defense for this takedown, he would always do to me. Uh, and then I'll start using it everywhere, clothes guard. And, and only recently, I would say in the past three years, I've been doing this for like six or seven years. Um, only recently I started using it from the top a lot more so from the top than the bottom, actually where I start jumping on people's heads, wrapping my arm around the back of their neck and then grabbing their chin and then controlling their head while I try to pass the guard. And if it should happen that I get swept I, and I end up on bottom, I still have this chin control and I just simply use it to re-sweep them, get back on top and then continue what I, what I was doing. Um, so this is how it started. Um, and then it just over the years, I just, it's always, it, it, it seemed to really throw people out of their element. Anytime I would wrap the neck and grab their chin, control their head, all of their attention kind of comes to that. Uh, they have to respect it, the chin strap grip that I had. And then all of a sudden it became a lot easier to do other things, pass the guard and sweep, submit, mount. I would always try to mount people and then submit them with it. Um, so when I was making the DVD, I, I thought, you know, I, I actually, I remember this, my, my teammate, JT Torres, super awesome grappler. Um, he told me something one time that stuck with me when I was going to teach my first seminar. He, uh, I asked him about what he teaches the seminars and he kind of said, he said, man, people, I think appreciate when you can just add value to some techniques that they already know, you know, add some details to things they already know to help improve the moves that they already know as opposed to showing them some flashy flying inverted twister heel hook, you know, like no one, you know, maybe one person in, in 200 will pick that up and, and be able to use it. But if you can add some details to some moves that everybody already knows to make those moves more effective, then I think more people will appreciate that. So that's kind of what I do with the DVD. Um, everyone knows a guillotine, everyone. It's like the first move everyone learns before they even do jujitsu. They know a wrap the head squeeze. Um, so I would just 
basically, as, as you saw on the DVD, it's one technique. It's, the guillotine is the same finish every single time. But there's 20 different ways that I show to use that same guillotine uh, from different positions or how to use it to improve your position. And then in the end, you're finishing the exact same guillotine. You know, you're going to you know, pull the head in, pinch your elbow, and, and curl to finish it. But there's 20 different ways to use that. So I was hoping with the DVD to just add value to the existing uh, guillotine. And people, everyone has a guillotine in their in their brain, you know, somewhere lurking in there. Um, so I was just trying to add some value to that move that they already have. I've for the few years now been a bigger fan of the having the arm in the guillotine, uh, just because it's it's harder for them to get out of it. It seems like, but uh, sometimes yeah. it's harder, a little harder to finish. Maybe a little bit different uh, movements to finish the guillotine. But with with your variation, it's it's like I'm not. I could I could I could finish it the way you do and not get tired ever. Like it's not I'm I'm not really using large muscles to try to pull and twist and and do these uh these crazy things. I'm just kind of uh you know taking my hand and 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 working to uh, finishing the choke with the, just little movements and and kind of digging it in there. And uh it's yeah, it's yeah, been working great, great for me. I I really appreciate that DVD and it, it uh it, anybody who uh, like guillotines or Armin guillotines, I think it would be an easy thing to add on as far as to your game and make a slight modification. Like you were saying, uh, people already know a guillotine. Uh, if you if you have a guillotine you like, this might be a way that you like, uh, you know, doing this even better. You know, so uh, just that little details that that you provide there and a lot of different places you could find it. You know, I've now now I'm able to to get a few guillotines while I'm trying to pass, and which really wasn't an option before for me. So I appreciate that as well. I'm glad you, I'm glad you got some use out of that. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's a, it's a well made DVD. You really, uh, it, like you said, you've been working on this technique for quite some time, and you, you know, I'm sure somebody else could also spend you know five, six, ten years on on a guillotine and come up with something uh, very well as you know, like like you did, but you don't have to. <laughs> you already did all the hard work. You already had all the <laughs> The guillotines that didn't work. You you went through those uh, bumps in the road, and 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 you showed you you're sharing with us a, a very important part of your game, and uh, I just I really appreciate it. So so uh, thank you for for sharing that with everybody. Yeah, if I you know if I can leave make one small mark on on the jiu-jitsu world, I, I hope that's it, and I hope it benefits from people. Well, uh, there's definitely some small marks on people's necks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I definitely want to get some advice from you. You're you're coaching uh, the white belts there, and and that is a uh, a pretty significant uh, population of the, of the BJJ Bricks audiences: white belts, blue belts, people who are just uh, kind of getting involved in jujitsu and, and trying to trying to kind of figure out what's good for them and is this is this right? But uh, a lot of people, white belt or blue belt, are at a time when they're doing their first tournament. Uh, what advice do you have for somebody who's who's going to be in their first tournament coming up? Um, well, I think, you know, when you're entering the tournament, right, you're, the training is done. So, of course, I have to say that you should always train as hard as you can um, leading up to the tournament. You know, train hard. Don't uh, don't just slow roll with your with your teammates. You know, you have to, like, 
have a conversation with them and, and, and tell them like, look, I'm, I'm getting ready for this competition. I need to train hard. Like don't hold back. Let's, let's, let's have a good match, you know? Um, and, and do that a lot. If find hard training partners, train hard and, 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 you know, drill your techniques and get them, get them in there. The, that's the, that's the hard part. It's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to train hard, but if you can do that, you know, the next hurdle you have to deal with is anxiety, right? The anxiety of the tournament. And especially as a beginner, I mean, everyone feels anxiety, even black belts, even Andre Galvao feels anxiety sometimes, you know, like everybody has some anxiety at some point. It can, we're not all just machines. Um, so dealing with that can, can is important. It's very important because no matter how awesome your jujitsu is, the the anxiety could paralyze you. It could completely throw you off your game and you're not going to be yourself. And I think we've, I've been there before in the past and I know some of my friends have been there where they had a, a horrible, horrible performance and they just couldn't get their head right because they couldn't manage the, their anxiety. And it, maybe it's not anxiety is not the, always the right word, but we all have a voice in our head, you know, and sometimes the voice says, Oh, you're going to lose. Oh, I'm not ready for this. Oh, if you lose, it's okay. It's okay. You start just making excuses or you start justifying why you might lose. Um, and this is, it's important to shut this voice up. You have to, and this is what I've, I've learned this from Andre Galvao. Okay. My professor, he is a very motivational man and is very good at speaking and, and he speaks from the heart always. And he's taught me a lot, a lot, a lot about being mentally tough. And I think it's so, so important uh, that you you are mentally tough. And not just when you're fighting the other person, but with yourself. You have to control your emotions. And when you hear the voice in your head telling you that you can't, telling you that you're you're probably going to lose, but it's you know it's okay because you're sick or uh, you didn't sleep well or you've been traveling a lot, and if you lose, it's okay, but if you can manage this and, sh- and silence that voice and just tell yourself that, you know, you trained hard and you deserve to win you, and that, you, you know, you, you're ready for this and you, and you tell yourself that you deserve to win. This is the most important thing. Um, then you're going to have much more success and then your techniques are going to be able to flow the way they should. Um, everyone has a voice in their head. Everyone. Uh, I do, you do, our opponents do, every opponent you do you're ever going to face, you know, he's dealing with the same exact thing. And I think that the person who deals that, who deals with that voice the best, who can manage that, um, their thoughts and, and keep their thoughts on the positive end of the spectrum and not on the negative end of the spectrum, that person will have more success. Assuming you trained hard. <laughs> if you didn't train hard, it's even worse because now you, you have a reason to doubt yourself, right? You have a, a real reason to doubt yourself. Well, man, you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to win because I skipped training. I'm not going to win because I haven't been training hard. Well, that's, that's, you deserve that then, you know? But if you did train hard, you know, and then you have a reason to tell yourself that you deserve to win and that you're going to win. Um, I think this is very, very important. And of course, this takes practice and this takes experience. And the more competitions you do, the easier this becomes. Um, of course, in your first competition, you know, you've never had to deal with that that little voice in your head telling you that you're going to lose. Um, so it takes practice to, to, to drive yourself to the positive side and, and stay away from the negative. Um, 
but you know, as long as if you can keep this this in mind and understand that when you do hear that voice, um, it it will come. <laughs> All the competitors out there, this this little voice will come. I promise you, it will come uh, when you're going to compete. It's it's always going to be there, and you just have to expect to hear it and and silence it and tell yourself that you know you're going to go out there and you're going to fight hard. You're going to win because you trained hard and you deserve to win. Great advice to hear and, and from uh, an amazing source. And I appreciate you sharing that uh, with us. Um, I picture somebody kind of just doubting themselves and then and then thinking, I trained harder than the other people. Yeah, I know I trained really hard. And then maybe being able to take some of that doubt away and uh, and perform at their best opposed to to going out there and performing worse than they typically do uh, at the gym. Yeah. Well, yeah, hesitation and hesitation is the death of of jiu-jitsu technique, you know. It's like if you if you're not confident in your ability to do an armbar, um, you know, you only have a moment to capitalize on a submission uh, and then it's gone. So if if you're hesitating, you know, if you're not confident in yourself, your ability to to do it, um, you're going to miss your moment. And, and if you hesitate, you're going to miss your moment and you're going to lose that opportunity. I can think, I can think of right now, I can think of one exact moment that I, I'll never forget this moment. And in 2014, at Nogi Worlds, in the quarterfinals, I had an opportunity to hit my favorite guard pass. And I know if I had pulled the trigger, I would have hit the guard pass and I would have been on the side control and I probably would have beat this guy. And I just sat there. I didn't do it. I just sat there and thought, ah, man, it's too risky right now. I, you know, I should, I should just not. I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't pull the trigger. And I missed my window. And the next thing, he, I, I realized that he was moving. And he grabbed my foot. And uh, he started cranking on my foot. And I ended up losing by a footlock. And if I had just made my move, you know, the whole match could have been different. Um, but I didn't. I hesitated because I was I was not confident. I was nervous that doing something. I don't know. It was it was a move that I always hit too. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah. I, I, I don't, and I don't know why I didn't do it. I just to this day I don't know why I didn't pull the trigger, and I lost uh, about one minute later. And I will never forget that moment. I just I wish I had just like, you know, put my head down and and got in there and done. I, I wish I had just done it and. Yeah, you know, I'll never, I'll never know now. I'll never know if I would have, if I would have landed that guard pass or not. It, it sounds like you know? the I, I, your your pregame mental focus is is helping you to uh, pull that trigger and not think about it to to just to just go yeah, for things absolutely. that you know you could do. Yeah, you just have to. You know, you, you can't be afraid to go for things because you have to be confident in your ability to recover the guard. I recover. You know, if you have a good scramble or you have the ability to recover, uh, you know, you should not be afraid to go for anything because uh, even if it doesn't work out, you know, you, you're probably not going to be in a bad situation, you know, um, as long as you can recover your guard and, you know, then continue playing. Yeah. And you get to from there. Uh, Josh, um, you're, you're coaching a whole bunch of white belts out there. Uh, could you maybe share with us what are some traits that you see in a white belt that you, when you see them, you think that they're going to do well at jiu-jitsu? Um, yeah, I think it all comes down to effort. Um, some people, you know, and I coach the kids too. And let me tell you, the kids are, are quite a spectrum of crazy. Um, 
you know, I have like some kids are like absolute brilliant genius children. And then I have some that are, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm not going to label that spectrum, but, um, some of them, you can say, okay, you're going to do the, you you know, guys, you're all going to do this. Let's do this thing right here. You know, like, uh, get in the cold garden and start working on some camera setups or something. And, you know, the kids that want it, they're doing it. They, they get down there, they close the garden, they start doing their commercial setups and you don't have to sit, you don't have to yell at them to do them faster. Uh, in the white belts too, like some of them are, are plagued with, I can't, or, um, you know, I'm just like, all we're doing, you know, commercial setup is my example because it's basically just a sit up, right? You got to scoot your butt out a little bit, sit up on your elbow and wrap the guy's arm. Um, and some of them are just like, I can't, or they're just, they're paralyzed with, by they're paralyzed by the idea of I can't, or I don't understand, um, as opposed to just, you know, getting up and trying it. I just try it, you know, and if you do it wrong, it's okay. But at least you're putting the effort forward, you know, instead of, uh, you know, one person like just laying there on their back and they want, I, I can't. As a as the instructor, like, I don't, I'm not quite sure what to do. I, I can't walk over there and like lift you up and help you sit up. Um, so some people, I think I just, are just paralyzed by, by the fact that they, they're, that that they can't, I can't, I can't do it. Like, or I don't know what to do. Um, and, and even in those others that I think are more successful, well, they just kind of jump into it. Like maybe they're going to do it wrong. Um, but they're, they're trying to do it. And I think that's important. Um. And we, hey, look, we're all doing something wrong, right? Like I can tell you right now, I trained for two hours this morning, and I, I did at least at least two dozen things wrong, but I tried, you know. And I think that's important. Yeah, and I think I, this is true in all aspects of life. I think if you're just paralyzed by fear of failure, you're never going to get anywhere. Even with business, I think you know. I always hear people talk about like you just got to jump in, jump in and do it, and you're going to learn on the way. And if you do it wrong, that's fine. You know, we're all doing something wrong but we're learning on the way and we're going to improve with our mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Doing, doing something wrong, uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing. You do something wrong. Hopefully you notice it and then you can make an adjustment. You don't have to do it right the next time. Just do it less wrong than you did at the time before. Exactly. And, uh, and, exactly. and you'll be miles ahead of yourself. Uh, if you continue that process. Exactly. But you know, else about the thing about white belts too, I think, um, I hate calling them wipeouts. They're people. You know? They're people. They're beginners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <you> know? <laughs> they're beginners, and and blue belts are beginners too. Um, they're just less beginner. But uh, I understand jujitsu can be awkward, right? <laughs> it can be awkward. You, a lot of times, you're like sitting on someone's head or having your head sat on, and I think there's a lot of social anxiety that happens in jujitsu for beginners. You know, like they want to do this thing but it just seems so weird because you're wrapping your legs around each other and you're sitting on each other and it's very touchy feely hands on. And I think some people like really want to get into it, but that this is just, it's weird for them, you know, um, just with all the close contact and the sweat and the body smells. And so I think, I think this is uh, is this is hard for a lot of people. It's, it's my observation that it's been, it's difficult for people to, focus on a technique when they're just trying to survive this close contact situation with a stranger. Um, I don't have a solution on how to make that easier. You know, social anxieties is, is, or awkwardness is, is 
is a big, it's a thing that I don't, I don't, I don't know, I can't solve right here, right now. Yeah. Um, Dang I, it. I think the only thing that makes, <laughs> I think what may, it makes it easier is just, just getting in there, you know, just dive into it and it'll get less awkward as time goes on. Yeah. Um, getting to know your training partners helps, uh, spending time in those positions yeah. and then also realizing that these are valid things that are happening. They're not just messing with you and, and putting you here for, yeah. for the, uh, heck of it, you know. It's uh, actually doing a technique here, and it will work, and and have a have a result if you can't uh, deal with it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely a big thing that that you keyed in on that that we don't really talk about is the social anxiety of it. You know, they're trying to learn a new thing, but they have uh, these other voices in their head telling them that this is not this is not right. This is weird, and and you got to. It's gotta weird, yeah. Too. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, I and I know I I've heard a lot of stories over all the years, and I know I know some people that told me they were like they were in tears in outside in their car before they came into the class on their first day. They were so nervous, you know. Um, I I man, I could think of so many different stories that people have told me that I just never realized, you know, and I never realized how much. Uh, effort it took for people to drag themselves into the jiu-jitsu class, you know? Um, so I think as an instructor, it's very important for me to, to acknowledge people, uh, and acknowledge how much effort it took for them just to get there, just to show up, you know? Um, and as a coach, you know, the most important thing is to be supportive and positive, you know, and say, okay, yeah, you're doing it great. This is good. Um, but let's, you know, let's tweak it a little bit like this, you know? And I always try to use my own my own failures as an example. You know, I was like, man, I tell people all the time, I was like, look, you're trying to learn this move like on your first, it's your first year of jiu-jitsu. I was like, I didn't learn this move, and it took me three years to learn that move. You know, and here you guys are doing it on your first, in your first couple months of jiu-jitsu. You know, you know how long it took me to to be able to do a dart stroke? I, I think I messed up a dart stroke for two years straight. I couldn't do a dart stroke for the life of me. I just always did it wrong and cranked the guy's neck and just never felt right, you know? And here these people are like, I, I just tell them all, I say, man, you guys are way ahead of the curve. Like you're, you're ahead of where I was. Like it took me forever to learn, learn how to do X guard. Yeah. I didn't learn until I was a purple, purple belt, you know, and I didn't imagine you can get good at it until the brown belt. And here you guys are knocking it out at white belt. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah. And, and, and staying positive and, they don't see you struggling to learn those basic techniques, but just to share that with them that you did struggle and, uh, and oh, they're, yeah. they're doing really comparatively better than you were doing with that much experience. And that could be, uh, very encouraging. I'd imagine. Yeah. You know what I did also? Um, I don't know maybe this will help other coaches. Um, but I have a group chat on Facebook for just my, just the white belt classes. I want to call it the beginner class because honestly there are blue belts that come in there also. And some of the the older kids who are yellow belts, they come in, in that class too. It really is a beginner's class, not a white belt class. Um, and some of my old white belts that are now blue belts, they're still in the group. So, but anyways, I have a group chat, and I, and I and I use that to talk to everyone, kind of about these things, um, because you know not everyone shows up every night. So even if I have this talk in front of everyone in class, some people then make it that night, or they've trained in the mornings, and they're going to miss it. So I use this group chat to just to keep them on the positive side, you know, to let them know, like, man, you guys are doing really good, you know, keep going. Um, you know, you're far, you're way ahead of where I was when I started. And, 
all the things that I, I think I should have said while I was coaching them that I didn't, I use that to like, you know, the next day or the next morning, next evening or whatever to kind of go back and like, just tell them all the, all the positive things that I think I should have said. And, you know, and it's easier after I've had some time to think about it, you know, to put up a, a positive message or sometimes I just go on Instagram and I, I screenshots, I make a positive message that I, I saw on someone's account and then I post it on the group chat and I say, look guys, you know, this applies to you guys, you know, keep your head in the game, you know, stay focused, try to enjoy the ride, you know? It sounds like you're doing, the group. yeah. It sounds like yeah. you're doing a great job helping the, the people when they're off the mat and kind of keeping it in their minds and, and reminding them uh, where they're going. And, I'm trying, and, man. I'm, you know, they're learning as students and I'm learning as an instructor. We're all learning. Yep. <laughs> That's cool and a very humble uh, thing for you to say. Um, do you, what are your plans? Any big plans for this year as far as competition or, or training or teaching? Um, actually, yeah, we're, uh, I'm getting geared up for the first Barracuda Jiu-Jitsu event, which will happen in February. I don't think there's a date yet because they haven't locked down, um, a venue exactly, but Barracuda is putting together a Grand Prix. Um, I think it'll be an eight man division. I think I'm in the 85 kilograms division and, uh, that's going to be awesome. Like I saw all the Instagram posting, all the guys that are in that division, every division, man, it's like a monster division full of champions. So that's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to, to dancing with the best. Um, and then in March, Pan Ams, we'll do Pan Ams. And, uh, you know, and then of course we'll get the world's camp going in the spring. So world's camp is always super exciting at autos because we get a lot of visitors. A lot of the autos guys come from Brazil and we have just, massive monster training sessions. Uh, also I'm always looking forward to that. It's always a good time. Wow. That's cool. So, yeah. It sounds, sounds like you have a, a, a good start planned out. Uh, do you have any sponsors yeah. or are you looking for sponsors to, to help you uh, get going here? Uh, recently I have entered the, uh, the, the market as a independent grappler. So no, I don't have, um, I don't have a, a sponsor that I want to thank. I will thank the the guys from Monkey Tape. Those guys, I just want to say thank you to Monkey Tape. Those guys, very cool guys. You know, they're super positive, good energy, um, and they. I'll just say that tape. The tape really is something special. I don't know what the heck they have in that stuff, <laughs> but it's like in, it's like industrial industrial grade adhesive. Uh, and you can tape anything on your body and that tape does not come off until you peel it off and you might lose a layer of skin when you peel that tape off. So thanks to those guys for always being cool. And, um, yeah, no, that's it. That's it. Uh, cool. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having, for having me on. And, uh, thank you for reviewing my DVD. Yeah. That. I'll put a, a link to, to the, uh, to the review I did. Cause I was, I mean, I was really happy with, with the DVD and I definitely wanted to share my experience with everybody so they could uh, figure out if it's the right DVD for them uh, as well. Um, do you have any, any way that people can contact you, social media or website or anything like that? Uh, Facebook's fine. Yeah. Facebook messenger is good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I check it, you know, once or twice a day. Um, they can, uh, they can, I can take messages through Instagram. Some people send me messages on Instagram. Uh, if they can't add me as a friend, uh, I think I'm at my limit. 
but they can always message me on Instagram. Uh, it's at hangerbjj. And, and I'll, you know, always, I'm not the fastest responder, but I will respond eventually. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Hey, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. I want to thank Josh Hinger for the interview. Had a lot of uh, fun getting to know him over the Skype there. And, uh, yeah, I've definitely had a big impact from his DVD, The Hinger Teen, which is a combination of the words guillotine and hinger. And uh, it's kind of like an Armin guillotine, but it's done a little differently. And uh, if you're interested in that, check out the review. Uh, I'll have links in the show notes. Or just check out uh, the direct link to the uh, DVD there uh, of yep. The Hinger Teen. Also, I will... I will tell you when Byron posted his um, review of the Hingertine and and plus on top of that he Hingertined me a couple times uh, in practice before that you know, the first time I've seen the Hingertine and then I watched the the video or the review I as soon as I got done watching Byron's review I did go uh, I think it was to Fight Hub or somewhere to yeah. and bought it that day um, and and I, I can tell you it is really help my game also and i hope byron has noticed that i have got better at it um but it's uh it's a very informative dvd and it has really really helped my game out too i know i don't have my own you know review posted on youtube but uh, you know i i have used the the dvd i have seen big results from it and i wholeheartedly uh you know think it's incredible and it'll and it'll change your game it'll definitely help you out Gary, you just put a bug in my uh, brain. Yeah, speaking uh, of bug in a brain, okay. we are definitely going to switch gears here. Oh. Um, normally, I uh, Byron will throw an audio book out for me, but um, Byron was telling me before we got on the show today, um, he was talking about how he wanted to do an audio book, another one, because he's only done two. And uh, he's just like, hey, I really need to do something because you're really outworking me. And, and what that was is Byron made a decision you know, to go down that path, um, you know, to make an audio book. So he wanted me to come up with a name of one that he had no clue what was going to come out. And because he, he knows that, you know, I'm probably a little more in touch with the jujitsu community and I would know kind of more what they they would want to hear. So uh, Byron's audio book is 30 ways to pass blame when you get tapped out. Um, you know, it's kind of the opposite of John Will's blog, um, you know, not making your own decisions. This one, uh, you know, I think uh, just by the title that I think Byron's going to figure out different ways to blame people um, when something doesn't go his way. And can you tell us a little bit about your audiobook, Byron? Gary, 30 ways. Man, uh, I've got to boil it down to just a few that I want to talk about today. Uh, some okay. of the big ones that will really help promote the book. This, uh, first off, Gary... This audiobook is a game changer. Imagine every time you ever get tapped out again, you've got an excuse ready to go to save face, to, to make sure that the person who just tapped you out knows that you're still the better grappler and that what they just did doesn't really matter. Imagine how big of an impact that book would have on you, Gary. What do you think about that? You know, I'm just thinking about that. I'm about ready to buy it. Okay, I good. think it could probably be the number. I think it could probably be a New York Times bestseller. That so that was the alley oop, Gary. Here comes the slam. Here we go. Oh, I like that. <laughs> uh, here's one of my favorite ways. 
is to tell them they did it wrong. So Gary Camorra's me, except, you know, as he was doing that, we kind of rolled a couple times and he ended up finally sneaking in the Camorra. Gary, you did that, but you could have done that better if you would have prevented me from rolling uh, into this, you know, deeper Camorra that I ended up in. So let me show you, Gary, what you did wrong with the technique you just had me with. That's a great way to really establish that you know what's up and you're not going to be tricked by that sort of stuff again. And in fact, you're able to take what they did well and make it even better. So you're a nice guy, Gary. You got a lot going on for that one. Yeah, I like that one. You, you turn it on them. You basically, first of all, tell them what they did wrong yeah. so they think their move was terrible. Yeah. But then you're the nice guy and you're going to teach them how to do it properly. Here's Great another, idea. Yeah, I've got, like I said, there's 30 of these in this book. Uh, another one of my favorites, Gary, is the uh, the just-in-time coach stuck in a sub. And uh, so here we go. You know, Gary's got that uh, Hingertine locked up. Well, let's not do Hingertine because I can't really talk so much with the Hingertine going on. Let's just say Gary's working on an arm bar. And you know what? I'm pretty much a done deal. Uh, it's deep. It's tight. I'm not getting out. My hands are going to break open, and he's going to lock out my arm pretty quick. But what I can do is tell him to hold on a minute because I know a great grip break that would finish this off perfectly. Gary, you've done great so far. You've got the arm bar, but you're just not going to break my hands. Uh, you're just not going to do it. But if you do this, you, you, you t- change the angle a little bit, you take it up towards my head and say that, or maybe you attack the wrist, and uh, you could actually finish the arm bar a lot easier, Gary. So you take that time, you deconstruct the move for them, then you put yourself back in there, and when they do it, you help them. Yet Man, again, cool. uh, painting the good light on you, the troubled grappler. Man, that's awesome. That's a, that's an incredible idea. Do you, do you have anything, I mean, I, I do get hurt a lot. Do you have anything like maybe somewhere along the lines is, you know, you fake an injury or anything of that sort? Has that, is it, would that come in there? Yeah. Uh, part of the thing, you don't want it to be blaming on you, you know? So there are a couple that revolve around, hey, I kind of cricked my neck there, but another big one. Let's just say Gary's got me dead to rights in a triangle choke. I'm going to get tapped for sure. I'm able to kind of pick him up uh, onto his shoulders a little bit. And then right there, stop, Gary. Stop, stop, stop. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to break your neck. Uh, let's just let's just start back in the regular guard. You know, I, I was getting a little carried away with my escape. I forget, you know, you're a delicate guy. Uh, I don't want to hurt anybody here. Uh, so if that's fine with you, which I'm sure it will be for your safety, let's rewind a little bit and start again without me stuck in a triangle. You know what? I like what you did. You said if it's fine with you which I sh- for your safety, which I'm sure it will be. You know, you lead that person down a path. That is great. And you're making it like you're the good guy. Oh, I love these, Barn. <laughs> this book is going to be $40, uh, but you can get it. For- oh, it's it's. I'd pay fifty. It's a premium price uh, for what the, what the actual content of it is. The last chapter, Gary, is going to change chapter? it up. And I tell you that, uh, hey, just get tapped out. You got stuck. Uh, it's good to have good training partners that can actually tap you. Don't be uh, a whiny little complainer about everything, and we all get tapped. And so, yep, like, I don't the thirtieth think... tip isn't so good, but it's something. Yeah, that I don't think a lot of reality. Yeah, a lot of people won't listen to that, but you know, uh, they, it's basically going to be out just in time for Christmas, um, which, 
which Byron's got a lot of time to get that ready. But um, we've talked about, you know, for the low price of $40, Byron is also going to include two pairs of free cauliflower ear inserts. And basically what this allows you to do is uh, you snap in some cauliflower ear. Um, it's inserts that make your, you know, that you put over to your ears that make it look like your ears are cauliflowered if they're not. And that way you probably won't ever have to use these excuses because everybody will be afraid of you. So, um, uh, you know, that's just an extra tip that you get for free. So, uh, definitely check it out, uh, coming to stores around Christmas time. Yep. The, the hardest part is getting those, uh, ears attached to the outside of the audiobook and getting that all in the yeah. middle. That's, that's a pain yep. in the butt. But yep. we're going to make it happen. No calories in the ears as well. Crisp and clean, no caffeine. <laughs> All right, thanks for switching up. That was kind of fun, and I'm looking forward to making this book that gives uh, crappy training partners advice about how to uh, save face, which is really not that important anyway. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I think that could actually be a book. I think this one... We could probably actually sell that one compared to all the other 173 I've done. Gary, the thing that we could do with this is make it kind of a humorous YouTube video. Yeah, it would be funny. <laughs> I, I think that might be something we need to do. Gary, you mentioned that I have a review on the website, or I guess on our YouTube channel of The Hinger Teen. I've got lots of DVD reviews on there and some gee reviews and some other stuff. Uh, we need to get Gary doing some reviews. That would He's got other... He gets the apps and, and things as well. Gary, if you have a review you want to do, let me know, and we'll uh, we'll hook it up and make it happen, my friend. Sweet. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, speaking of reviews, um, which this has nothing to do with reviews, but uh, definitely uh, check out the website Patreon. There's a link to it on the show notes. Uh, Patreon is a website for content producers like ourselves, and it's a way to support the show. Uh, definitely, it's not free to host a website. It's not free to, uh, you know, put this show on. And, uh, you know, any type of revenue we can bring in just makes it a little bit easier to bring you a quality show. And, and you know, that's what we want to do. We want to have a have a good show for all of you. We don't want to put out a piece of doo-doo for you. So uh, even though Byron does say I carry around a bag full of doo-doo with me. But, um, you know, we want to put out a good show. So definitely uh, check out Patreon. And if you do have a, a means to support us, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, Gary, you, you managed to make it weird no matter what. <laughs> uh, I say you do, but you did bring it up. Uh, yeah. Um, we're also available on most social media outlets. Uh, Facebook and YouTube are probably our two biggest ones. We're on Reddit. We post uh, most of the shows. If you want to post a show there uh, that we've done, uh, that we forgot or before we actually get to it, that's fine as well. If you send us a message, you can send it through Reddit. I get it about a week late. It seems like I'm not real good about getting on there every day. Uh, Facebook you know you just... a message and, and uh, email is also great. Did you know you just rhymed in there, Byron? You said, if you send it on Reddit, I get it about a week later. That was pretty good. You're a poet and you didn't know it. <laughs> as uh, As are you, my friend. Yep. So that's uh, definitely check out Byron's next concert. Uh, we call him Byron B. The Armbar Submission Machine. Uh, definitely check out his uh, his new rap video. Um, it's also going to be available around Christmas time. Um, hey, we are in Wichita, Kansas. If you want to train with a with a rapping jujitsu guy, uh, Byron and myself will try to be available for you. Um, so just uh, send us an email, bjjbreak at gmail.com. Uh, we've had a bunch of people come through and train with us. Uh, we've had Denise from Germany come a couple times. Uh, we've had uh, people from, uh, you know, uh, 
Colorado. And where was Mark from? Florida, you said? Yes. Florida, Colorado. So uh, we've had uh, people come from all over, uh, Germany being the farthest. And uh, we did have uh, one guy come from Mars. So um, we do have people come from all over. I think so. Definitely. Yeah, technically Mars is going to be further on that one. Gary, check your math. But uh, if you had a good time on the show, uh, enjoy listening to the show. Uh, tell a friend about it. The odds are you know somebody who does jujitsu and might enjoy listening to maybe not the ramblings of Gary and myself or the ramblings of Barry, but uh, definitely Josh Hinger had a lot of great information for everybody uh, to pick up on. So definitely make sure you tune in next week. And Byron, can you tell us who our special guest is next week? A very, very special guest. You know, this week we had a world champion. Next week, let's do it again, my friend. Bernardo Faria. So definitely do not miss next week's episode. Bernardo Faria is going to drop some knowledge to our guests. Yep, he's and always, us. He's always uh, fun and exciting and just uh, he's one of those guys you can tell he's smiling, smiling on the other end of the uh, Skype there. And uh, great to have Bernardo back on the podcast. And uh, you'll see why in a week. Yep, and we always say, you know, Byron talks about Bernardo always smiling. You can tell he is uh, just by talking to him. And that's the one thing we always say about jiu-jitsu. You know, let's have fun. It's a sport. It's a hobby. We're here to have fun. And, and I always say when I'm rolling, i got a smile on my face because I'm having so much fun. Not only a smile, Gary, but you're also sweaty. Stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.